Malachi chapter 3. And I want to talk to you this morning about the gift of giving. You know, we have spiritual gifts. And there are people, for example, with the gift of evangelism. Now, we are all called to evangelize in order to be obedient to Christ and the Great Commission. But there are people with the gift of evangelism that just raise the bar and equip and challenge the rest of us and give give us a pathway to evangelism. There's people, for example, with the gift of faith. How it's impossible to please God without faith, the Bible says. But it's those with the spiritual gift of faith that raise the bar, they challenge us, they show us what it is to have faith, and they equip the rest of us with faith. And there's people with the gift of intercession. Now, we are all called to intercede and pray for one another. But if you get around somebody with the gift of intercession, for example, a good friend of ours, George Ball, he's from Ghana, and, and he enjoys going to his hometown, and there's a mountain where they pray, and they cry out to God, and he comes back here and prays. I mean, the walls practically shake, and it shows us what it is to really intercede for others and boldly stand in the gap and call blessings and healing down on others. And there are people with the gift of giving. Now, we are all called to give, to be obedient to Scripture, but there's people with the gift of giving that raise the bar, that challenge us, that equip us, that show us the pathway about what it is to truly live obediently, to truly live sacrificially, to truly live generously, and to truly care for the local church as God uh, resources them. I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. His name is Pitch Poland, and he's in heaven now, but this is his family. He's been in heaven now for the past seven years. Though he's been in heaven for the past seven years, his gift of encouragement in my life is very present tense. Uh, His influence in my life is, is not past tense by any means. It's very much present tense. Pitch had the gift of giving. He was one of the greatest encouragers that that I've ever had. And this is what Pitch would do for fun. He would say, he would call me and he would say, Shane, why don't you meet me at such and such grocery store? And I would say, okay. I would meet him at the grocery store. We would fill up the bed of his truck with canned goods. We would drive into the poorest areas of Fort Worth with, with black garbage bags. We would invite people. We'd give people bags and invite them to take whatever they wanted. This was his idea of fun. And he loved challenging me to dream bigger and and to live more generously and to walk by faith. In fact, one time that we were out on one of these uh, generous runs, giving people food, I saw a building, and this was, this was in our first year. We were nomads in the Botanic Gardens for seven years. So this is our first year as a church family, and we were dreaming about our own building, saving up for it. And I saw a building, it, it had fire damage, it was, it was unoccupied, but there was a sign in front that said, with a banner, it said, Future Home of Revealed Word Ministries, a phone number, Pastor Sultan Cole. I got the number, I called Pastor Sultan. I said, I'm a pastor too, we're, we're starting a church at the same time, can I, can I have lunch with you? And he said, sure. I got to know Sultan, and we had kindred spirits, and we connected, we preached the same gospel, had the same vision. And I said, I'm going to make a commitment to you, before we think 
think about our building, our church is going to help you get into this building. You're closer to your building than we are to ours. The city of Fort Worth donated this burnt-down, dilapidated building. They just had to repair it to get their certificate of occupancy. And I said, before we think about our building, we're going to help you guys get into your building. And that was our ambition for the first year or two. And then they got into their building and, and celebrated opening Sunday. And we're still great friends today. And I believe that the reason that we're here today in this building is because we helped them get into their building. And I remember my buddy Pitch was just um, so proud of me, and, and I can still remember how he would challenge me to walk by faith and live more generously. You know, Pitch was, he was in the oil and gas industry, and from time to time he would close a deal, and he'd say, hey, it was a pretty good deal. He said, listen, challenge the church. Let's put a vision Let's put a, a vision offering out there, like two or three months. Challenge the church to give. Whatever the church comes up with, I'll match it, dollar for dollar. So we might raise $40,000 at a church. I would call him, you sure about that? And he would give $40,000. We'd have another offering. We might raise $75,000. I would call him. He would give $75,000. We would put those funds aside to get into our building one day. And he was so excited. He would work so hard. And he was so excited because he was getting ready to close an oil and gas deal. And he said, if this deal closes, Shane, we're going to give HopeWorks $400,000. And after about two years of working on that deal, it closed. And he gave our church family $400,000. And God used all of our prayers and sacrifices. But largely it was somebody with the gift of giving that raised the bar, that challenged the rest of us and who walked by faith. And this is what I know about the gift of giving. People with the gift of giving understand that God has been so good and gracious to them. Therefore, their hearts are not a reservoir, but a river, and they can't help but be good and gracious to others. I've noticed that people with the gift of giving have a very keen understanding that it's all God's. They don't own it. It's not theirs. They're just managers. They're stewards. And they have an account to give. And one day they'll give an account to how God has blessed them. And they want to be faithful on that day and hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Notice that people with the gift of giving love seeing the body of Christ come together and unified, uh, love seeing the body of Christ grow. They love to be part of something bigger than themselves, and they love to see souls come to Christ. In fact, they love souls more than they love pouring God has given to them. And I pray that as we are all called to give, that some of you with the spiritual gift of giving would would, would encourage, would discover your gift and begin walking in that spiritual gifting. And perhaps your primary gifting might be helps or service or leadership uh, or teaching or preaching or mercy or hospitality. And yet we are all called to walk in this giving. So I pray that we are all aware of our calling to give and we walk faithfully in this as we also develop a keen awareness that God has been so faithful to us, so how can we walk selfishly? We must walk generously. It all belongs to God, so we'll give an account, so let's be faithful with how he has prospered us, so let's, let's, let's steward God's resources accordingly, and let's live to be part of something bigger than ourselves as we pursue a vision that God has given us. So as we're in this series, Malachi chapter 3, let's pick up 
and we're, we'll be in our text, Malachi chapter 3, let's start in verse 6, and we read, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, but you say how shall we, we return to you? And in the same way, there may be some of us here this morning who are out of sync, who are out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. And God is saying, return to me. And you may be saying, but how can I return to you? I mean, I'm doing things right. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm going to church. How is our relationship not what it should be? And God responds to this in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you were robbing me. But you say, but how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? So we realize when we don't walk faithfully and obediently with an understanding that we're not the owners of that in which God prospers us, but we're merely the managers, the stewards, then we are robbing God. And we're going to see that we're not only robbing God, but check this out. This is the truth. We are not only robbing God, but we are robbing ourselves. Because we are depriving ourselves of walking under the umbrella of God's faithfulness and his watch care in our lives. So let's look at some observations about tithing. Tithing is first fruits. Tithing is first fruits. So let's continue to read in verse 8. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me, but you say, but how have we robbed you in tithes and contributions? What is a tithe? A tithe is a tenth. For example, if you have a hundred dollars, a tithe of a hundred is ten. If you have ten dollars, a tithe of ten is one. If you have one dollar, a tithe of one is uh, a, a tithe of ten dollars is one. A tithe of one dollar is a dime. A tithe of a dime is is a penny. So a tithe is a tenth part. Now, most of us might understand that, but we're going to see that a tithe is not just a tenth. For example, if I have a ten dollar, if I have ten dollars and I lay it out, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and I say, how much is a tithe? What would you say? A dollar. But this is what we're going to understand about a tithe, which of these dollars is a tithe. Good job over here. Let's give them the gold star. So a tithe is not just an amount, but it's the very first. And sometimes it can feel like our finances are cursed rather than blessed, and we're giving 10%, but we're not giving the first of the tenth, and that is why it doesn't seem, have the evidence or fruit that God's watch, care, and, and, and multiplication is upon that tithe. Because a tithe isn't just a tenth. Listen to this. A tithe is the first fruits. It's right off the bat. Let's take a look at this first fruit principle. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring in the house of the Lord your God. Now let's just keep this up here for a moment. So perhaps you you, you work the ground in this particular culture and crops come up. God says, 
in order to honor me with your crops, I want the first fruits. I want a tenth, but I want the first tenth. Now, if this first tenth is are crops that, that maybe the, the, they're, they're, they're wilted or, or they're, there's insects that have, have damaged them, then you would redeem that first for the best of the crops. And God is saying, this is how I want you to honor me. I want you to honor me with the tenth, but not just the tenth. I want you to honor me with the first of the tenth. Because I gave my very best for you when I sent my son to die on the cross. And now I want you to understand it's all mine. And I want you to give your very best back to me. Exodus chapter 13, verses 12 through 13. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens up the womb in terms of the livestock. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. So it's the first, but it's, it's a tenth, but it's the first tenth. And again, if that first of the livestock perhaps is sick or maimed, then you would redeem that with the best of the livestock. You would set that, that maimed, that, though the first, but the maimed livestock to the side, you'd redeem it with the very first. And this is how you would honor God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 through 10, and this is scripture, this is wisdom, not just in the ancient times of Israel, but this is scripture, this is wisdom for all of us. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all that you produce. That means as soon as we get that paycheck, we should be excited that right off the top, the very first fruit is going to go to the Lord. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. In the course of time, watch this, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had a regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So very, Cain's face was angry. His countenance fell. He was very angry. Now, why did God reject Cain's offering? Why did God bless Abel's offering? Now, some people would say it's because Abel gave, Abel gave an animal and, and there's blood and that was a picture of Christ. Cain only gave from the, from the field. I don't believe that that's the reason because we have very clear instruction in Scripture for those who work the land to give the first fruit of their produce and of their harvest. And Scripture clearly teaches in that passage that Abel, by profession, he had livestock. Cain, by profession, he worked the land. So it would only make sense that Cain's offering came as produce from the land and Abel's offering came as the first fruit from the livestock. It's very clear why God honored Abel's offering and why God rejected Cain's offering. Because each of their offerings had an adjective to describe it. The adjective describing Cain's offering was an offering. That was the adjective, A-N, an, an offering. The adjective describing Abel's offering was the first fruit of the livestock. So you see, they both gave, but one was rejected, one was blessed, and it's because Abel gave the first fruits of his produce, the first fruit of his earnings, the first fruit of his provision, the first fruit of his income. So tithing is first fruits. It's gross, it's right off the bat, and we should be excited to give back to God because God can do more through our 90% than we can do through our 100%. And God, in fact, says, if you don't honor me with the first fruits, then everything else, or if you withhold your first fruits, everything else is going to be cursed. Everything else is going to be frustrated. So the first principle about tithing is this. 
Tithing is first fruits. And the more I study this, the more, the more excited I get about this to, to the extent that this morning I told my wife, we get to tithe today. Because you know that you're being obedient to God, you're living generously, you're being a faithful steward, and I know that God's watch, care, blessing, and provision are going to be upon our household. And I know that through it, instead of our tires going 50,000 miles, they're going to go 100,000 miles. I know that God is going to give us favor. He's going to open doors. So tithing is first fruits. Secondly, tithing is a heart issue. This is why God commands it. Does he need it? No. He can cause the rocks to cry out and praise his name. He doesn't need it. Je- Jesus told Peter, go down to the, when they had to pay taxes. I think Jesus kind of rolled his eyes. Well, he was going to be submissive to that authority, but he told Peter, go down to the lake, get a fish. You'll see our tax money in the fish's mouth. God can miraculously rain down money from heaven, but it's a hard issue. It's because we're not just robbing God. We are robbing ourselves of the blessing. And it's a hard issue indicating that we know it all came from God. That God has been so good to us. And we want to love him and be faithful to him in return. Malachi chapter 3 verse 9. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. We're robbing him. This is the hard issue. We are robbing God. That's a scary place to be. Look at when somebody realizes it's not mine, but it's God's. And they live faithfully and obediently as good stewards and generously in response. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. This is the very first tithe. The others were offerings uh, in the the Old Testament. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, this is, we can cross-reference this with the New Testament book of Hebrews. Melchizedek was a type of Christ in the Old Testament to give us a picture of Jesus' function in our lives. And Melchizedek, king of Salem or king of peace, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. He blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed who has delivered you, your enemies, into your hand. And watch this. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So we see Abram was just extraordinarily blessed by God. And as a result of that, he was acknowledging to God, it's not mine, it's yours. I didn't cause this blessing. I am not a self-made man. I am a blessed man. Did you see the difference? This is the heart of somebody who robs God and someone who lives faithfully as a steward. Someone who robs God says, I am a self-made man. Or I will make my own blessings. I'll make my own way. But somebody who walks faithfully understands I am a blessed man. And to acknowledge it's all, it all comes from you. It's all yours. I'm only a steward. I'm going to be obedient in this. So you see it's a heart issue of gratitude. It's a heart issue of humility. Genesis chapter 28, Abraham's grandson Verse 22, Jacob realized he was a blessed man, and in response to the blessings that God had showered upon him, Jacob gave to God a tenth of everything that he owned. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. 
Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord's. It all belongs to God. Every grain of dust, every mountain, every animal, the skies, every drop of rain, the oceans, every creature there within. It all belongs to the God, to, to, to the Lord, and especially to his children. He's saying, honor me with the first fruits. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for inheritance and have taken possession of it to live in it, you shall take some of the first, again, the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place of the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell therein. So, our first two principles about tithing this morning are this. One, tithing is first fruits. Two, tithing is a heart issue. Three, tithing is love, not law. Tithing is love, not law. So some of you may have been thinking, but this is a whole lot of Old Testament verse verses. Does this really apply to us? Well, if you recall, we read about Abram being so blessed and he gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek, the high priest, which was an Old Testament picture of Christ. But do you realize that that preceded the law by 430 years? So tithing is not an Old Testament law. It's an Old Testament principle. It was not done away with. In fact, it was endorsed by Scripture. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you think... For you, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus endorsed the tithe. He said you should have loved but not left the tithing undone. And it all comes down to a heart issue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is why God commands the tithe. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice the order. It doesn't say where your heart is. You love something, you're going to give to it. Jesus says where your treasure is, where you give, your heart is going to follow. Jesus doesn't say that your treasure will follow your heart. Jesus says that your heart will follow your treasure. Therefore, he commanded you to, and me to be faithful with the first fruits and tithe, and our heart chases after that in which we sow and that in which we invest. Besides, the, the entire argument, argument about tithing being Old Testament, not New Testament, really makes no sense, because in one of the Ten Commandments, we have a command not to commit adultery. That was the law. Now that we're in the New Testament age, is that no longer applicable? Of course not. Jesus raised, Jesus raised it to the nth degree. He said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you even lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. In the same way, a law in the Old Testament is do not murder, and Jesus raises that to the nth degree, and he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you're angry, with your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. And in the same way, God all throughout, before and throughout the old, and throughout the law, preceding and throughout the law, command to tithe of our first fruits. Now that we're in the New Testament age, it far exceeds that so that the New Testament church didn't just give a tithe, they gave everything so that nobody was ever in need. Pretty awesome, huh? So let's look at the next principle of a tithe. Tithing is caring for God's bride. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this awesome? This is the body of Christ. This is what Jesus died for. This is what God gave his very best to create. A group of people who all are bound together as a family. 
But like we mentioned in the video, it's not, it's not, our, it's not external credentials that bind us. It's not the fact that we all like the Dallas Cowboys or we all enjoy the same restaurants or we all live in the same neighborhoods that make us a family. What makes us a family is our equal share in the cross of Christ, the grace of God and his spirit that indwells us. This is the family of God. And when we tithe, it sustains and blesses the family of God and empowers our mission to continue to reach our city and the uttermost parts of the earth. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. It was a collective place that the entire assembly could be blessed. And the New Testament equivalent of the storehouse is the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do as the Lord prospers you. On the first day of the week, put something aside so that there will be no collecting when I come. As the Lord prospers you, as you get your paycheck, as your provision comes in, look forward to and be excited about tithing. Because it's walking humbly before the Lord. It's walking obediently. It's walking generously. And we're going to see the fifth principle of tithing is that it sets us up to be blessed. Tithing is the key to multiplication. Tithing is the key to multiplication. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And the New Testament equivalent would be the assembly of the saints, the local church where we are called. That there, that there may be food in my house, and thereby, and this is the only place in all of Scripture, in 66 books, where God says, test me on this. Test me. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the first fruits of your soil. And your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. This is an exciting place in scripture. The living God, the creator of the cosmos says, test me here, prove me. Be faithful with the first fruits, with your tenth, and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing so there's not room enough to store. And not only that, God says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer that's consuming your crops. In other words, I'm going to make sure that the blessings you already have don't wear out. I'm going to give you opportunity. Your shoes will last. The tires will last. I'll give you favor. You'll have promotion. You'll have blessing upon your life. And Karen and I, we had, we had two weddings, one here and one in Mexico, and um, after the American wedding, we went to the Grand Canyon, after the Mexican wedding, we went to Cancun. So after our first wedding, uh, we went to the Grand Canyon, we passed through Las Vegas, and there were people sitting in front of these slot machines, and, it, and they were just putting money in, right? Putting money, putting money, putting money, pulling, putting money, pulling the lever. And my wife made an observation as we were walking through and we saw these people doing this. She said, nobody looks happy. She said, they're not having fun. They just kept feeding that slot machine. Literally, we might as well have given them a match and they could have just burned cash. Literally. They could have roasted a marshmallow. At least they would have gotten something out of it. It would have been more fun. And she said, and it's true, and I looked. Nobody feeding their slot machine's money was enjoying it. Nobody. 
It wasn't a group of friends sitting around laughing. In fact, there was a little tension on each of their countenance. And I started observing, and I said, Karen, here's what's going on. Here's why they're not enjoying this. Because every one of these people are expecting their reality to change. And they're going to leave emptier than when they came because their reality is going to be worse. That's the truth. I think, why don't they just tithe? God says, give me the first fruits. I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings so there's not room enough. And I'll protect things. I'll curse the devourer over your assets and your possessions and your blessings I've already given you. Tithing is the key to multiplication in our lives. Finally, tithing is faithful stewardship. Tithing is faithful stewardship. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 30. We read a parable that Jesus gave. And it's about an owner, and he has managers basically working for him. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14. Well, Luke chapter 5, actually. Luke chapter 5, verse 14 through 30. Let's see if I can get there before Chris. Did I make it? I finally made it. Luke chapter 5, verse 14 through 30. Did he get me? All right. So. Well, actually, let me just tell you guys the story. So, there was an owner, and he gave to one manager a certain amount. He gave to another manager a certain amount. And he gave to a third manager a certain amount. And he said, I'll be back. And, and show me what you did with what I entrusted to you. So the first one takes these ten talents that was given to him. He invests them. He doubles them. The second one takes the five talents that were entrusted to them. He invests them. And he doubles them. And the third one, he takes these talents that were given to him. And he, he understands, gosh, my, my owner's harsh, and, and I don't want to lose a dime, so he just buries it. So the owner comes back, and he, he looks at the, at the man he gave ten talents to, and he doubled him, and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little, I'll give you much. He looks at the second one, well done, you were faithful with little, I'll give you much. He looks at the third one, and he says, what were you doing? And the man says, well, I, I didn't want to lose a dime. He says, I, I entrusted this to you not to hoard. I entrusted this to you to invest. You could have at least put it in a bank and generated simple interest. But instead, you gave me exactly what I gave to you. And he took from him, he said, wicked servant. He took from him that and he gave it to the one who was given 10 and multiplied and doubled that. Now with that, let's go back to Malachi. And let's look at Malachi chapter 3, and let's look at the very first few verses. In this context of tithing and giving, we have a prophecy of the second coming of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John writes of Jesus quoting from this passage. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to this passage in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, to refer to John the Baptist. So this is clearly, without a doubt, speaking of John the Baptist. And then it goes on. 
and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure his coming? So we immediately go from the first coming of Christ, where John the Baptist precedes, and we skip Uh, The death, burial, and resurrection in this one comma. We skip the death, burial, and resurrection. uh, The church age, a couple of millennium. And we come to the second coming of Christ. The day of the Lord. Who can withstand it? And I don't believe it's an accident. I don't believe it's a coincidence. Nothing in scripture is incidental. Nothing is accidental. Nothing is coincidental. That in this passage of tithing, we have a reference. We have a prophecy of the second coming of Christ. That's because Jesus is the owner. We are the managers. He's entrusted to us. And we will give an account for that. Did we hoard it? Or did we understand it was all his? Were we faithful with it? This is the principle of tithing. This is the principle of first fruits. This is how we care for our church. This is how we walk obediently and humbly before the Lord. This is how we ensure that God's favor is upon everything that we put our hand to. His blessing is with us. So, how about you? Is this an area that you're faithful in, this area of tithing? When you get a hold of tithing, it's really exciting. So I want, to, I want to leave you with this. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. 10, 10, 80, 10, 10, 80. When, when, when the Lord prospers you, immediately right off the bat, that first 10%, give it to the Lord as a tithe. That second 10%, you get that second 10%, immediately put it into savings. And then you have 80% to pay your mortgage, to pay your electricity, to pay your light bill, and whatever is left over, heck, go to Six Flags. If you like donuts, eat donuts the rest of the month. Whatever you want to do. 10, 10, 80. And what's going to happen is God is going to continue to bless you, and as God continues to bless you, you can increase that 10% to 20. And you can begin living on 70. You can increase that 10% to 30 or perhaps you can, you, you can increase your tithe to 20, and perhaps you can increase your, your savings to 20, and you can begin living on 60. And as you continue to function in God's economy, and God continues to bless you, you continue to increase what you give to the extent that there are people who work as hard as they can. They're there, they're our friends, they're faithful members of this church family. They work as hard as they can, they live on as little as possible, and they give as much back to the work of the ministry. And our church wouldn't function without them. And they are so blessed, and their hearts are just filled with joy. So I want to encourage you to begin entering into this stewardship, 10, 10, 80. Watch God bless you. Would you stand with me, please? Father, it's all yours. We're not giving 10% to you because you own 100%. We're just returning 10% to acknowledge it's yours. Help us to walk humbly, gratefully, generously as you prosper us. Lord, help us to walk humbly, gratefully, generously as you prosper us. You know, God says you're robbing me, but as we really unpack his scripture, we realize we're robbing ourselves. 
robbing ourselves. I won't ask you to raise your hand if this concept of tithing the first fruit is an area that you can grow in. Well, actually, if you would like to raise your hand, raise your hand. Is this an area you can grow in? And is this an area that you can say, you know what? I want to start walking by faith. Okay. Amen. Well, praise God. You're going to experience God's blessing and watch care on your life. And so our response is come to the altar. And it's a heart issue. It's never about the money. It's never about 10%. It's the heart. And that's what makes it so exciting. It's literally a way to worship God. And so in our response, let's just sing with our whole heart. Oh, Lord, we are coming to the altar. We are laying our lives at the altar. I invite you to come to this platform, utilize it as an altar, kneel down and say, I'm committing my life to you. I'm giving my life to you. And I'm going to be obedient in this area of giving, God. And I just... I'm testing you here, and I'm just expecting you to open up the floodgates of heaven. All eyes are on you, Jesus. All eyes are on you. Father, thank you for stirring our hearts to walk obediently before you. We respond with our whole heart as we, as we present our lives as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond.